we usually start by saying, welcome to the pre-show. Welcome to the pre-show. And then it occurred to me that somebody who listens to us, who comes across us, uh, because we have a lot of listeners that share our podcast, will think that the name of our show is The Pre-Show. Because we always start by saying, welcome to The Pre-Show. So I think we should let people know. If I'm not mistaken, Erica M. actually suggested we look at changing it to The Pre-Show. <laughs> now, we didn't take her, her advice very far down one way, but we didn't go there yet. Yeah, yeah we didn't go there yet. Yeah. But uh, welcome to the music podcast. Welcome to... Pre-show. Welcome to the music pre-show. Um, but in all seriousness, the, re- the reason I bring that up is because uh, someone has nominated us, Greg, for the Quill Podcast Awards. Um, and someone has actually yes. nominated you as host of the year. So I think there's a typo there because I, I don't know how that happens. Yeah, there is definitely. <laughs> Hundred percent, there's. But I would, uh, you know, we we haven't uh, pumped our podcast too much. I want to thank those of you who have subscribed and who continue to listen. But if you would be so kind as to nominate us for the Quill Podcast Awards, uh, just go to the Quill website, which is Q U I L L. Dot io, I believe. Let's see if I'm correct. I'm totally off. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we're getting no votes on the Quill this, podcast because people why listen to this and go, oh, God, these guys don't know what the heck they're talking about. But go to the Quill website, and um, yeah, you'll find out more uh, about how to vote for us. How to nominate us. So it is quillpodcasting.com. Quillpodcasting.com. Q U I. If you had had a Mac, as soon as you put in Q U I, then it would have like pre populated the rest and then you'd be good. But you. Uh, So what you're doing now, Greg, is now you're alienating everybody who doesn't have a Mac. That's, you know, that's listeners. Don't take Greg at his word. He is just upset that Warren Kinsella has uh, has blocked him on uh, on Twitter. But go to quillpodcasting.com and uh, vote for us. Or you know what we should do? Well, let's just restart. Let's start restart this. Let's restart this pre-show. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the pre-show. Welcome to the pre-show. <laughs> Brought to you by Quill. For all your podcasting award needs, check out quillpodcasting.com slash quill-podcast-awards. Greg, what is going on in music these days? What is what is What is happening people are people are selling tickets to concerts in 2022 in canada but i think 2021 people are going on tour especially down people are going on tour yeah 
Um, and you've already bought tickets. I have. What uh, what show have you purchased tickets for? Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine. 2022. If they last that long, how old is that band? <laughs> younger than me, so I hope they do. Oh, there you go. Yeah, they'll make it. They'll make it. Yeah, I yeah. Uh, I haven't. I still have Pearl Jam tickets that I've held on to because their show got canceled back in yep. 2020. So, and I think... I think Minaz has, is it Depeche Mode or New Order? I don't know. Tickets that she has? New Order. New Order in September. New are Order? Still, they're still trying to do it in September. This September? Yep. Oh, wow. They have not canceled that show yet, as I understand it, because yeah. one of our team members at Iron Gate is planning, is hoping to be able to cross the border from the U.S. Yeah. And come up to see New Order in Toronto in September. Perfect. Not very likely, but... Yeah, we'll see. We will see. And in other news, one of the top shows ever, Curb Your Enthusiasm, <laughs> uh, apparently does not meet your standards. It does not. That's, that's Well, I, I, don't know, I don't know if it doesn't meet my standards, but... Your comedy... Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't meet... I was, nope. it, it shocked me. And apparently you, you never did like Seinfeld either. I was not a big fan of Seinfeld. I was okay with Seinfeld. I was not a big fan of Seinfeld. And when I saw Curb Your Enthusiasm for the first time, I realized yeah. why I didn't like parts of Seinfeld. Interesting. Okay. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hey everyone, my name is Candle. I'm a singer-songwriter here in Vancouver, BC. I have a new record coming out on May 28th called Set the Fire, and I'm here on the Welcome to the Music podcast, hanging with you lovely gentlemen for the next hour. Awesome. Perfect. Welcome. 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 Thank we're you. so excited. We're so excited to have you on. Um, I'm glad Greg, it worked. Greg, wait, yes. wait. Okay. So candle. <laughs> candle. Everybody calm down. Yes. Calm down, Greg. We'll get to your questions. <laughs> so I am a big uh, Saturday night. I'm watching uh, Saturday Night Live. Love SNL. Love SNL. In between though, I'm switching channels and I land on HBO and I start, I start binge watching candle. One of your favorite shows. Which one? Curb your enthusiasm. Oh, I was watching Uh, that yesterday for like five hours. So, Oh my God. (laughs) Isn't it one of the funniest shows ever? Yeah. It makes me squirm, but I can't stop and I can't look away and I love it so much. It is so good. So Greg has an issue. With the show? Greg, We're starting Greg off with this, are we? Greg does not find Curb Your Enthusiasm funny at all. <laughs> like, at all. Like, there's not, like, not, not at all. Like, what? I don't understand that. I, I can't. Is it because it's too stressful? 
No, I don't like I was never a big fan of Seinfeld. Okay. Oh, just, that that's it right there. That's the root okay. of it. Okay. So I was never a big fan of Seinfeld, but I couldn't really tell you why. And the first episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, I realized now I understand why. Well, the first episode Mary is David's hilarious. humor. It's not just not just the first episode. It's any it's episode. Not for you. I, well, I, I shouldn't even say that. I, I, any time I've tried to watch, I'm like, that's exactly the part of Seinfeld that I didn't like. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like there's a little bit of Larry David in all of us, but we just yes. bury it deep. Yes. <laughs> It is so like true. And cut, you know, all these things that I'm always like, I want to say something about and I never do. And then there's Larry just being that asshole that doesn't care and just always does. <laughs> here's, here's, here's my, my prediction. Yeah. Um, Greg sooner or later is going to hit that age where he's, he's going to become Larry David. <laughs> he's going to call me up from up north where he is, and say, Kareem, can you believe this? And he's just going to, and I'm just going to start laughing and laughing. I said, Greg, it's time to watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. You know. It's coming. It is. It is. So anyways, Candle, I want to uh, welcome you to the podcast. <laughs> and it is amazing uh, to finally talk with a kindred spirit who enjoys drinking soda stream and <laughs> of Neil Young and curb your enthusiasm. So welcome. I am all those things. That awesome. is welcome, true. Welcome to the show. Thank and I'm going to pass you. it off to Greg. Who's going to ask you a very insightful question. He's already <laughs> upset with us about Larry David. Oh man. All right. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, no, I was, what I was going to say, or he, shot the salvo across the bow on this one because I was not expecting him to start with this. Nor I. As, no, no. Was two years ago, almost to the day, we hmm. were in the same bar together. What bar was that? We were, you were performing. I was sitting at the side table with a bunch of friends and it was at Radical Road and you were with your dad playing in... Uh, family Curse at the Yvonne Matzel production of she put on the, she put on the show at Radical Road. Do you remember Radical Road? And it's in uh, <laughs> Leslieville. No, it's a, that small little bar. It's a tiny little thing, tiny tiny little bar that you that you, the two of you played at. In BC, it was two years, it was, <laughs> no no in Toronto in Toronto. It was two oh, years ago and yes. three days. I do remember that. Whoa, I had tiny, tiny, amazing little really dig in my brain. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so where I was, so I was gonna say that you know I'm I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not gonna spend the next hour talking about your dad. He's Um, a cool guy. It's all right. Although I'm a no no, huge (laughs) fan, huge influence, so I could, but I won't. And I was gonna promise you that Kareem wasn't gonna spend the next hour talking about your Neil Young cover album but apparently we were already going there so <laughs> no where i wanted to go with this was more you know you've collaborated with your dad a lot over the years whether it's him producing or or you know playing together in the band together i i wanted to know just sort of like from your perspective what do you love working with your dad about and and what influences he had on you over the years um to the music that you're producing today I got to say, I'm pretty lucky. I think I won the dad lottery. (laughs) He somehow 
despite everybody telling him otherwise, he managed to raise my sister and I being like 50% dad and 50% best friend and it never being an issue. So he's, he really does feel like a good friend and we hang out all the time and we're always coming up with fun, creative projects together and working with him. It's never even been a thing that we decide or like have a big meeting about it's it's usually like him showing up with a slide guitar and a box of costumes and being like want to play dress up and start a blues band and I'm like okay <laughs> <laughs> and we make my mom film us doing a music video and we're like mom you messed it up <laughs> and like it's all in the name of fun with him mm-hmm. and that's something I've always really appreciated about him and his attitude towards things is not taking things too seriously and doing it for the right reasons. And I was, you know, I loved growing up watching him work and watching how he handles everything he has to deal with the highs and the lows of the industry. And he will play the same show for a sold out beautiful venue as he will for a birthday party for 10 people. Like he always has that, charisma and that pride about him and I really respect that about him so I guess growing up in his footsteps has not been a bad thing for me at all Mm -hmm. what was it always in the cards for you to be a musician was there anything else that piqued your interest as a child yeah I I didn't get into music till quite late really I started playing guitar in my mid-teens I couldn't sing for shit until I was like 22. Wow. (laughs) A lot of it was just fear and anxiety, but I never really even tried. I wasn't a natural and I just worked really hard at it because I I couldn't stop writing songs and I had no way to to express them and to share them with anyone. I found it very frustrating. So I forced myself to learn to sing, but I... I went to photography school. I was always more into the visual arts and Mm -hmm. I also thought I might like have a dog ranch or be a kindergarten teacher. And then (laughs) I went totally the other way. Wow. Very unplanned. Yeah. Um, We've had over the past year and a bit, uh, a number of musicians on obviously. And I remember right at the beginning of the interview, Greg and I would ask, um, you know, during this downtime, has um, have you been writing music? Have you been, uh, has there been any inspiration? And a number of people, Greg, I can't remember someone saying, no, man, this is like the best time. But a number of people, Greg, have said, no, I, I don't feel like writing. I, I just, I'm just chilling out. Um, you started this pandemic candle very differently than than a lot of people that we've spoken to. In, in fact, correct me if I'm wrong, on this album that's coming out this month, um, you guys were already in, in, in like a, a self-isolation quarantine. Uh, yeah. We went into lockdown on the first day of recording the album, which was really insane timing. Like it actually is the first album recorded of, the coronavirus era like it was day one yeah it was very insane timing yeah, yeah. <laughs> go ahead go ahead if you could sorry to interrupt but yeah tell, tell us more about how that sort of transpired and and how you 
how that process of literally being in lockdown, like, did it uh, peak your curiosity? Did it peak your um, uh, just everything that you guys were doing to put the put the album together? Yeah, I mean, at that point, there was no stopping me. I had just finally gotten out of my contracts and I was a free artist for the first time. And I was so excited to finally be able to record again and to do anything musical again because I wasn't allowed to. Mm. And when this happened, it was just like, at first it was kind of, I don't care. <laughs> like we're here in the studio. We have everything we need. You know, why would we stop? There's no reason to stop. And there was a lot of fear and anxiety in the air. If you remember those early days. Yeah. yeah. Like we couldn't find soap and we were washing our hands with pine salt and we all got rashes. And like, it was a really weird time when people were fighting for toilet paper and everything, but the timing of it all was so like it had, we didn't been just a few days later, none of it would have happened because we did the bed tracks the first two days. And that was, you know, everyone was like, okay, we're not really supposed to be doing this. How, how are we here? Are we touching? Are we not touching? And then they were all gone. And then on the third day, I really wanted to get my girlfriends in to do these like Supreme style gang vocals Mm -hmm. on the whole album. And I hadn't even sung yet. I hadn't laid down any guitar. It was just drums and bass. And that was the last day they were allowed to come to the studio. So I got them in and did a full day of all the backing vocals just to drums and bass. Wow. And then the next day they had to go into quarantine. So then it was just my producer, my engineer, and myself for three weeks. And the owner of the studio said, everyone canceled. You guys can just live here if you want and stay till you finish the record. My producer was in from London, and I was actually living in London, too. And we had no idea what we were going to do, but we just ignored everything and focused on making the record and we like lived and breathed it the entire time that's the only thing we thought about wow so for three weeks you guys were in in your own sort of lockdown yeah what about mixing and all of that how when did that take place same time mastering oh everything yeah wow yeah i know we're like well why stop we're here let's do this whole thing so was this album ready a while ago then? Or, or have you been tweaking it? I know you've got a bunch of videos out already. Yeah, it was finished um, last March. And uh, the year before that, while well, I was waiting out all my legal issues and kind of being homeless, wandering around, I made a bunch of songs in different places. I did one in London with Youth from Killing Joke and one with my friend in Kings of Leon in Nashville and just for fun. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I realized I was a free woman, I thought, hey, let's release this first as an EP, try and test out the waters with the independent thing. I I don't know what I'm doing yet. I have to build a team. I have to learn how to be a label, a manager, and learn all these new skills. So the EP was kind of a test to set up the record. Mm -hmm. And I think it went pretty well. I was pretty happy. And I've surrounded myself with a with good people with a good team that I really respect and choose to work with which you don't get in a label situation 
And I've, yeah, everything I've been doing since the pandemic started is just to set up this release of the record and, and try and do it at the same level that would happen with a label, but on my own. Yeah. I, I know that, um, like, I don't know how much you can or cannot talk about some of the legal challenges that you were dealing with at the time, but, you know, how did, how did that, f- did that fuel positively or negatively into what you were going with? Or was it one of those things that you just sort of put aside and then wrote, do you know what I mean? It was kind of mixed. Like there, yeah. there's a lot of bitterness and resentment for sure. A lot of frustration and yeah. many, many meltdowns and mental health problems, but mm. Also, you know, it was kind of an interesting place to be in and realize that I no longer have to make anything for anybody else. And if I want to continue making music and releasing music, it's because I want to. It's on my own terms. There's nobody waiting for mm-hmm. it. There's no deadlines mm-hmm. other than what I create. Mm-hmm. And I had a few months for sure, where I was like, maybe I'm done. Maybe this is it. I've been like chewed up and spit out by the industry and I'm mad and I'm tired. (laughs) And the next thing I knew, I wrote a whole record. I'm like, well, (laughs) (laughs) I guess I better keep going. Yeah. To lower Uh, my expectations and just still remind myself every day that I'm doing it because I love making music. You know, I have to be like, that's the reason. (laughs) When when I when I first read that uh, you, there was this excitement of you being independent and uh, being frustrated with your previous label, I'm thinking in my head, oh my goodness, she was probably with one of these big, uh, big labels, maybe Universal or Warner, and and you were with, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were with a small independent uh, label, correct? Yeah. Um, and still the same issues that one would think of, you know, people remember, you know, Prince changing his name so he could do whatever he wanted. People uh, might remember uh, Neil Young putting out an album. I think it was Trans, maybe. Can't remember which one. Um, But then his label saying, that's not a Neil Young record. You have to put out a Neil Young record. Um, Yeah. What, tell me, you know, Greg has got some uh, experience uh, in the music industry. I come from the fan background, but um, whether big or small, what is it that the label does uh, to artists um, that someone like yourself finds frustrating? Uh, well, there could be so many things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not allowed to talk about the, the details of exactly what mm. I went through. It was yep. more like one person sure. doing things to me. Mm. Um but when you, you sign a deal, and, and especially like a deal I had, which was, you know, management, label, and a producer all in one, I'm not allowed to make any decisions. So I was made to, I had to remake my same second record over and over again, the same songs for three years. Always told that uh, wow. it wasn't enough, that there was some big strategy in play, that we were going to go global, that I was too Canadian, and all these reasons of why I had to keep going, why I wasn't good enough and why mm. I needed to toughen up and have thick skin. And I was basically like in a boot camp for three years and I was totally brainwashed and 
manipulated and I felt like it was actually what was best for me. And people would tell me all the time, like, this is not good. I don't, you know, I'm seeing red flags. This is not okay. This isn't healthy. And I'd be like, no, it's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. It's fine. It's fine. And it just got to a point where it was very toxic and very scary. And I hadn't been allowed to play shows in years. I hadn't been allowed to do an interview. I wasn't allowed to to release one song. I got most of my social media deleted because they determined it wasn't on brand, like pictures of me and my dog and me and my dad, you know, my own life. That was like, this isn't on brand. And it just, yeah, it was awful. And I kind of switched labels um, after my first record and went to that other label with kind of in like the peak of my career my first record did really really well and then I thought it was like moving up to the next level for the second record and I was like the buzz kid and you know was doing a lot of cool things and getting a lot of amazing media coverage and then I just got buried and had to stay hidden like it's, it's pretty hard to come back from that and like still I have to tell myself every day to like release the past like don't hold on to it it's not serving you and try to learn how to meditate and all those things we're supposed to do to get over things but whew, really does a number on you that's 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 heavy I mean I mean we've had we've had a number of and I'll say younger strong women I know I know cream looks like he's in his 20s but we're both a little older so I can say younger women um uh, but no but it's but we've had a number of young strong women who've come on and they're you know much like you've not been afraid to tackle topics like trauma and abuse and yet on the other side of it is the you know when you can get not past that that's that's playing it too low but like the empowerment on the other side you know what i mean and you 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 share a lot of those stories through your music and i'm sure you know again when i asked you about what happened previously and how it how it um influenced now you know, hearing your story, I just, my heart breaks for you. And I just can't even imagine, you know, what you've been able to grab hold of that and use that for empowerment. I don't know. Yeah. I think I'm still kind of waiting for that truly empowered state to kick in, which I think it, it will eventually. I'm, I know I'm doing all these things that other people look at me and, and have that impression and they're like, wow, this is amazing. All you've accomplished by yourself. But I still feel like this big and I still feel scared and I still cry all the time and have to do lots of therapy and take out of it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a strong woman. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think so much of it is like, you know, you go fake it till you make it. I have to act this way until I myself believe that I can be that person. But nice. You know, there's a lot going on in your head all the time. (laughs) One of the best things about this podcast candle is that Greg and I get to, um be exposed to you know brand new artists um or just music we haven't heard before um and so when the opportunity came to uh interview you one of the first songs um that i sat down and said okay let me you know let me see who who candle is or let me hear who candle is was was lock and load and that i heard it and it was like Holy shit! What a voice! Um, like you. it's it's like you, there's you know people talk about Axl Rose having all of these you know he's got he's got a wide range but in that song you have there's, there's a big range of highs and lows 
uh, in that song. Um, I, I want to like dive into that song, how, you know, where the idea for that song came, everything from the, uh, the theme of the song to the, uh, the James Bond treatment that you gave it. I would love to talk about Lock and Load. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. That song uh, is actually how my producer of this record and I decided that we were musical soulmates and that we had to work together. He's actually uh, the engineer for youth in London. And we were doing a song called Spell together when I was in London. And Michael and I just started talking about how much we love Bond songs and Shirley Bassey and Nancy Sinatra. We realized that we were both major Bond nerds. And I went back home to my place in London and I was really sick. I got vertigo and was like very miserable and feeling so ill. And I texted Michael, like, send me some Bond chords. I'm I'm devastated. (laughs) And he sent me this little piano line in the start of that song. And I voice noted him back the the first verse and he's like holy shit I think we're on to something and through voice notes just that whole night we wrote the entire song and we were mm. both like that's nuts hey now are we are we meant to be together <laughs> <laughs> and that song most of it that that whole vocal on the recording is actually just the demo I only ever sang it once and I sang really? it as I wrote it that's often what I like to do I'll write a melody and I'll lay it down once and be like is that right? And if it's not right, I'll do it again. But then I'll just go section by section. So each section I wrote, that's the vocal for it at the time. <laughs> wow. That's, I mean, that's crazy. Because that song is just, just the vocals on that um, are just mesmerizing. Uh, Thank you. To me. But you, you talked about spell. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I came across the story on how that was made. You went to, you just met this, the, the songwriter or the producer and there was music and it was, okay, Kendall, what's what's the lyrics now? Um, it, it sounded really strange. Can you tell a story about that song and how that came together? Yeah, I, uh, I met youth when I was 17 touring in China with Killing Joke. So random. <laughs> mm. As every teenage girl does. Of course, that's what you do. (laughs) And when I was living over in England for a bit, I didn't know anyone. And I was wondering like how I could start getting into music over there. And the only guy I know is this legendary old rock producer. There's a band with Paul McCartney and everything. And I messaged him on Facebook like, hey, man, I want to hang out. And he invited me over to his house for tea. And we shot the shit for a little while. And he's like, right, you want to write a song then? I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we just went upstairs to the studio. Michael was there, like, ready to go. It was, like, it's all set up for a recording session. I had no idea. And he just grabbed a bass, started jamming something. And we figured out some chords. He handed me a mic. And he's like, yeah, what's the melody? And I'm like, I don't know. And I just went for it. Because you can't really say no to a guy like that on the spot. He's like, I expect you to sing. And I'm like, I don't want to let you down. (laughs) So we wrote the spell on one day in his studio at the house. And I'm like, that was cool. (laughs) 
And then and then and then you come up with uh, with lock and load soon after. Yeah, like uh, a week after. Yeah, good week for me. Yeah, that. Do you write songs this quickly? Yeah, sometimes they're either like uh, sit down all at once. It just comes out, and then sometimes I work at them for months. I never know what it's going to be. I have so many half songs. It's frustrating, like a hundred half songs right now. <laughs> Should put all those half songs together, see if it. Uh, I do that sometimes when they're in the same key. I'm like, wait, does this work with this? Mm. Can I marry them? So, so is it voice notes that you continually go through, or do you have notes in your in a notepad with just lyrics? How how does it work for you? Got it all. I got a lot of voice notes. Got a lot of notebooks. Got a lot of scribbles. <laughs> Little bits everywhere, but I find it's like. It's just much more fun to to have someone with you. That's the only thing I really hate about being a solo artist is like, you know, nothing's as fun by yourself. And when I met Michael, just showing him all these songs I had, just just the littlest idea. He's like, oh, we're going to add an organ here and we're going to go halftime here. And we're and I'm like, ah, oh, everything you're saying is awesome. That's awesome. And yet you've worked, not worked with, but you've collaborated with so many people, right? Like yeah, you talk about so. having somebody else. You, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you look at, um, you know, your credentials, you've, you've, you've collaborated with a lot of people. So, you know, when, when you're, when you're writing and you say you, you enjoy working with somebody better, what is it about that process versus just you on your own that you're feeling more think- inspired or creative with? Sorry. My favorite part of, about it is just like after you've been doing this a while, like, you know, all your own tricks, you know, you know, you you know what you would do. <laughs> and when I'm writing a song, like it's, it, my songs are always to me anyways, very me. Like that's a classic candle thing to do. And when I'm sitting down with, with someone else like Michael or youth and they're like, right, I think, you know, we should go here. I think it should change to this and we should do this chord and it's just it's never what I would do and then like as a lyricist and and writing the melodies I get to go to an entirely different place that I wouldn't normally have ever gone to because I'm trying to meet this new direction and meet this new dynamic that's exciting to me and these chords sometimes like what Michael played in Lock and Load I can't play that on the piano like those are expensive chords you know <laughs> and that makes me as a vocalist have to challenge myself more of like, ooh, what can I sing over these chords I've never played in my life? I would just that's sit funny. down and play my, you know, A minor, D, E minor works, you know, that's a song. And if you know anything about my dad's songwriting, that's all it needs to be, really. <laughs> <laughs> he prides himself on the one chord hit. One gun is just D the entire time. And he's like... I'm a legend. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. What um, did you did did Dave Rave work with you on this album? Like I know I've seen some pictures of you in the studio. So so what I uh, where I, what I was really interested to know was listening to the album and knowing what Dave Rave has done and accomplished and written and the music he's written. Like what what of what of him came into this album? If that makes sense. I don't know. I just like, I, I think maybe Jackalope might be something where you start to get into the sort of a different sound. 
not saying he had one sound, but just <laughs> what it's, you put uh, out was very different than I think what Dave Rave's body of work has been. Anyway. I think another one of the perks of growing up as a rock kid is I kind of have like a hundred rock dads and Rave <laughs> is one of them. Yeah. So really he does things for me that like is so beyond, like he doesn't have to, he goes above and beyond for me all the time. Hmm. So he engineered the whole record mostly just because he wanted to hang out and be there. And I'm so glad he was, he, he really was like the dad of, of that whole recording process and the pandemic and everything. Like he's such a good energy. He's so positive. He's so stable. He's so fun. And just any idea Michael and I would have, he just calmly, make sure it was executed. He's like, yeah, let's do this. Okay, we need this mic. No, try that amp. Let's do this. And just very fun, very cool. And then he mixed the whole record too at the end. And I love mixing records with him. He just, he gets super stoned. He gets in this state. <laughs> and, you know, you let him do his thing for like the first hour before you give him any notes because he's just like, he's vibing. He's feeling like he's on the board and he's like, oh, and he'll give you like a look and you're like, so <laughs> <laughs> like he gets in a trance and his mixes are incredible awesome you, you talked earlier about uh having interest in photography and um i'm, I'm guessing you've, you've taken that into your videos as well so so to go back a little bit to to lock and loads been nominated uh for uh, a video award um and also one of your your earlier uh, videos was also nominated as well not up to me um what is it about especially these days in videos um what is it about are, are videos important to to you as a way to um give further meaning to to the song as you release them definitely for me and i know it's not that way for every artist and sure I honestly, like, I don't know how many people that listen to me even watch the videos. You know, sometimes it's a totally different crowd, really. And I think of all my favorite songs that have come out in the last few years. I don't even think I've seen any of those videos. Mm -hmm. But for me, it is like a very important part of the process. And every time I write a song, I have the visuals in mind and I like see it as a movie and I always feel like I'm scoring something and I, I just, it's so satisfying to me to like bring it to life with visuals. And it, yeah. it really does tie the whole thing in together for me and makes it more powerful. And yeah, like the one not up to me that won the prison prize a, a few years ago, like I had those visuals in my head for like a whole year that I was just desperate to create. And the video, it just turned out so great. The director was amazing and it really connected with people. And that's the best you can really hope for. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I never know what a video is going to do with anything. It's just a good piece of content now to have alongside your release. But I have way too much fun making them to ever stop. For sure. Um, you, you also mentioned a, a little bit ago about, you know, some of the, uh, some of the, some of the drawbacks of being independent or, or being, being, uh, you know, just being you yourself, um, and not part of, uh, part of a band. Um, are, are there Jeff, you know, future 
aspirations that instead of it just being candle you, maybe it's candle this four or five piece rock band or pop band. Um, so that is just more, or, or is it that come as it, it'll come when it comes? I think that's kind of the dream for me. Hmm. Um, but at this point, whenever I do something like that, it's going to be like a side project. You know, I have, okay. I have things going with, with my girlfriends that sang on the record that are all amazing, but that's like, you know, that's kind of its own thing. And I tried that at the beginning of my career and it's just, it's a really hard balancing act to, to have everyone feel equal and validated and happy. And mm -hmm. I've had so many people come after me before and musicians threaten to not play a show unless I give them 30% of songwriting for a song that they didn't write. And like all these kind of things, because once people are with you long enough, they feel like, you know, they're equal. And I'm like, well, if you didn't write the song and you did like, I don't know what to do. And a band like my dad is a good example. He, he's the sole songwriter, but he has kept everyone happy all this time by yeah. doing complete equal shares. But then again, like former band members, like his first drummer ever is credited as the songwriter of like Ocean Pearl and I Go Blind. <laughs> And that's very frustrating just to me as his daughter. I'm like, sure. what? Like, <laughs> he played drums on it. He's not the songwriter. But, you know, I think every every songwriter, every artist has to choose their own way to, mm -hmm. to find that balance and to make their people happy. And I've never started out as a band and I've never had a consistent band around me. So at this point, it doesn't really make sense, but it sure. is the dream. <laughs> Candle, we have a we have a segment called Lost Venues. Yes. Where we sort of uh take a look back at venues that that don't exist anymore. Um so you know we're wondering if there's a a special venue that you've played in before that you've got some great memories and maybe a story you could share about one of these lost venues. Yeah, the only one I was thinking of actually just shut down. It's called the Emerald here in, in Vancouver in Chinatown. And I didn't actually play a real show at it, but we shot the whole Honey Trap video in there oh. and got to perform with the all-woman band. And it was just such a cool place. It's like a David Lynch movie. It was so gorgeous and weird and vibey, and I loved it. We went and had a little release party with the three of us after because, you know, <laughs> Yeah, COVID at the Emerald and found out that it was shutting down a few days later. <laughs> no. Oh so that, that was, that's my lost venue. I'm sad about that one. I would like to go there all the time, but they are going to knock it down and build some condos. Of course they are. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, we've, 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 we've talked a lot about some of the lost venues and, you know, in particularly in Toronto, when you look at Hughes Room and places like that, it's you know largely to do with taxes. You know, and not necessarily that they're going to build condos right now, but they could, so they're taxing it as if it was a condo building. And yeah. you have these independent places that just can't stay in business anymore, unfortunately. What's closed in Toronto? What are the, like any of the uh, Mod Club classic? is Mod Club is done. 
Um, oh. Although, although there is rumors that somebody might get a hold of that. Um, again, Hugh's room is done. Um, silver Hughes dollar. Out, uh, silver dollar. Oh, really? Uh, um, I like that we one. Just, <laughs> we just today released a almost lost venues episode that the two of us just do. And we were talking about the Alma combo. Now, thankfully that's, you know, with the money being dropped into there, that's should be a pretty spectacular venue. Yeah. Oh, I feel sad for that one. <laughs> it's like we're finally opening pandemic hits. Yeah, I know. Yeah. The timing yeah. was horrible there. Timing. Timing is one Very thing. Very horrible. For yeah. sure. Um, yeah. you, you talked about honey chap. I just have to say another stunning video. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as well. Thank you. Yeah, and, and Bond-esque and, sound. Yeah. I think the two of those are just like, to me, it's like you just listen to it and go, man, this could be a Bond theme. Yeah, <laughs> I was in a bit of a phase. You might have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the record, I was like, okay, stop being so Bond candle. Two per <laughs> record. Be reasonable. How do you get, speaking of Bond or speaking of television or movies, um, how do you get your songs on TV shows like you you've got a song on tiny pretty things if I'm correct there which which song is that that's a song called sink and sin which it was really cool that it made it onto the show because that was just a weird song that I threw on the last record that I did all by myself I played everything I produced it my mom thought it was like scary and uncomfortable and I was like whatever (laughs) It didn't really do anything until this TV show. And I was like, ha! Ha! <laughs> take that, mom. Happy Mother's Day, mom. She's like, I still don't like that song. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. That is hilarious. But, yeah, TV things, like, I don't really know, especially as an independent, it's really hard. It's like a popularity contest it's who you know it feels very high school to be honest like it's if you're the most popular kid you're gonna get all the like the cool sinks and anyone I've got has basically been through a friend or a friend of a friend that's a fan that wants to help me or that loves what I'm doing and they're always just really random and I'm very grateful (laughs) but I've been putting in my (laughs) do you guys know the five minute journal I've this. heard of it. Yeah. It's like a gratitude journal. It's super dorky, but you know, mental health issues. Sure. And you're supposed to list like three things every day that you're grateful for. And one of them should be something that hasn't happened yet that you foresee. And every day I write my HBO theme song. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm go. just like, I'm manifesting. Like it's going to work. You'll see. <laughs> going to happen. Yeah. Written it every day for like six months now. It's nice. going to cut. <laughs> nice. So album is coming out uh, by before the end of the month. Yeah. Um, in the before times, candle, we would ask people, so how are you supporting it? Where are you going <laughs> on tour? But what, are, what, you must have some plans. Um, so I'm curious, what, what plans do you have uh, around you know, yeah. the, the support for this album outside of these amazing videos that you've already put together? Well, I'll do some more amazing videos. <laughs> nice. 
as you know, I have a pretty good PR team around me, so we'll we'll keep trying to get features, get interviews, and promote it all on social media and online. And uh, in a few weeks, we're going to go back into the studio that I recorded the record in and do some stripped-down performances with the girls because we can't even get the whole band in without breaking the rules. So <laughs> we're just going to try and perform half the record somewhat acoustically and mm. be able to have some sort of live aspect there but yeah it's a really really weird time isn't it mm -hmm, absolutely yeah, are these absolutely. the are these your same friends that you've done these backyard sessions with yeah so there's uh deborah jean Krillman. she just released a new single last week so good definitely check it out and she was a founding member of mother mother right. and then there's kendall carson and she's like an insane fiddle player singer she's been doing it professionally she was like four years old <laughs> and plays with alan doyle and anybody and everybody she's amazing and louise burns that uh, you guys probably know louise don't you she's Great been around for ever she was in lilix when she was a kid like signed mm -hmm. to madonna's label at 12 years old and then we had a band together and we were teenagers called the blue violets and She's now this like amazing producer. She's made, I think she's on her fourth solo album. She's producing all these young artists. She wow. co-wrote some songs with Orville Peck. Like she's just a machine. And I'm very lucky that these three ladies are like my entourage and they're always down to make music with me and always play with me and be on the records. And yes. That's awesome. <laughs> nice. I'm a big fan of all of them. It's it's that's a good dovetail into one of the questions we like to ask our guests before we finish up, which is, and you touched on a bit there, but what's what's in your earbuds lately? What are you listening to that people should be checking out beyond what you've already mentioned? I listen to a lot of Ethiopian jazz. Really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's like very my jam. Um, I'm totally in love with Michael Kiwanuka. Like he is my everything and what else am i listening to like trying to look at my phone this is where most people pick up their phone and go what am i listening right <laughs> i don't know what i'm listening to i'm all over the place ways blood i like the new lana del rey record mm -hmm. i'm still i'm trying to listen to more modern music but modern every music. morning i like make a coffee and put on Sarah Vaughn and Billie Holiday. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm very old on the know. inside. And, and next thing you know, you're finding yourself listening to Ethiopian jazz. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It happens. I'm trying so hard to be current. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, 1943 Ethiopian jazz. Anyone on vinyl? <laughs> One day I'll get with it. If I can make a recommendation. Uh, Please. There's, a, there's an Ontario band called Crownlands. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you've come across them, uh, no. but they put out uh, a rendition of birds as well. Um, no way. So if you, cool. if you, yeah, go, go check them out. Crown lands. Um, I will. Two piece, two piece rock band. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, I think you'll like that, but uh, yeah, thanks. 
we're going to go, Greg and I are going to go check out some of this uh, Ethiopian jazz. And, I'll uh, send you my playlist if you want. There you go. Do that. Yeah, Do absolutely. That. It's like uh, three hours long and I called it, it's a vibe. <laughs> <laughs> so Candle, you're going to, uh, I hear you're going to do a performance for us. I was wondering if you could set up the song. Yeah, I wanted to show you guys a song that's not out yet. Um, it's called Sweet Boy. And it's the song that my dad can't even listen to because it makes him cry. And I wrote it about my dog when he passed away. And it's like, oof, I just wanted to make him something so beautiful in honor of, of who he was and what he, he did for us. And I'll show you. I also got him uh, tattooed on my arm here. Oh. See that? Yeah. But he was everything to my my dad and I and losing him left a huge hole in our hearts. So I, I wanted to write him a beautiful song. That and was Bowie. I'm going to play for you. Yeah. That was Bowie. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I saw one of your post. We, uh, we had two goldens that we had to say goodbye to last July. Um, and it was just like, when I saw your post, I was like, Oh, just anyway. Yeah. It hurts but, like it is, hell. But, but you know what? It's because they rely so much upon us that we become so much reliant upon them. And that's the, that's the relationship that creates these, anyway, bonds that makes it so hard when it's time for them to go. But as yeah, a pet owner, it eventually comes. Yeah, it's so hard because, I mean, I don't know about you, but he became like my happy place, you know, whenever mm-hmm. anything was really wrong or if I was in a bad mood or, or depressed or dumped or anything, it was like, there he is. You know, yep. I bring him in the studio. We go to the ocean. Like it didn't matter what was going on. I just looked at his face and I instantly felt better and calm and safe. And he just, he made everything better for me for so long. And having that taken away, was just like, what do I cling to now? What do I do now? Like, how do I get through things without my big bear? <laughs> I still haven't figured it out. I got a cat and named her Pussy Galore. And she's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> she's all right, but she's not getting a tattoo. <laughs> she doesn't get one. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Candle.
Mime it. <laughs> oh, the cat is like attacking my door right now. Cats are weird people. Cats are weird people. Yeah, that's it. She's <laughs> like, may I help you? Candle, this has been a fun chat. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm glad it finally worked after my several fails. <laughs> that is cool. That's what's what we're living through today, right? This is uh, <laughs> it's every day, over and over and over again. <laughs> so the first time that happened to me, and I'm like, oh, great! Like, of all the like meetings that it doesn't matter if that happens, like, cool. Where Perfect. can people where can people go, Candle, to uh, check out more of your music and and more of uh, uh, more of your your stuff? The best place would be like really any streaming platform. I'm everywhere, Spotify, Apple, Pandora. And if you want to see what I'm up to, the only app I'm really good at 
keeping up with is Instagram. I, I can't do TikTok and stuff. <laughs> I think I'm too old. It's just, oh my. I don't have time for that shit. <laughs> I'm running a company. You know? I'm not going to like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe one day, but Instagram is the only thing I can like promise to keep up with. Greg, Greg will teach you how to, uh, does he know how? Oh God, no. No, it's like my, my wife will say to me, Hey, did you see what the kids posted on Snapchat? And I'm like, Do you know the last time I opened Snapchat was? It was like, no, no. I still don't so know. So I'm not even there I never mind. Back. <laughs> <laughs> like, what happened in MySpace? I was killing it on MySpace. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness we're talking about MySpace at the end of the episode. <laughs> we would have lost everybody. Sponsored by. <laughs> I actually think we finished off last week's episode with a joke about being sponsored by MySpace. If I'm not mistaken, no, really? A joke. I think so. Yeah, because we're yeah. Anyway. Well, it's no joke here. <laughs> last FM, MySpace. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, whoever owns that uh, that domain now, we should uh, we should try to get in contact with them, get some sponsorship money, because that's all we're talking about here. I would be stoked. Single-handedly bring MySpace back. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. What What else are you doing, Candle, during lockdown? I have no problem with bringing MySpace back. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Somebody Why not me? <laughs> Candle, this has been fun. Uh, I so look forward to your uh, your album coming out. Um, if people have lasted this long, <laughs> go to go to Bandcamp and you could pre-order. Uh, the Ooh. the album there, and um, when things open up, uh, Greg and I uh, will be at uh, at one of your concerts here in uh, here in Toronto. If you if you come by this way, so uh, again, in fact, in fact, if if it works out, next time you're back in Toronto, we can have you back to Radical Road. We can sit down and do a follow up episode yeah. of this podcast, and maybe get to play a couple more songs. Candle is going to be, be too big to play the Radical Road. Never. She's going to be huge. Didn't I you like didn't you hear earlier small venues? <laughs> yeah, didn't you didn't you hear earlier what she talked about her dad, what she learned from her dad? You can play a 40,000 seat arena or you can play a 10 person birthday party. There Same you show. You don't listen to our guests, do you? You just don't listen to our guests. <laughs> he never listens to me. No, I know. <laughs> you should be me week after week after week. Yeah. Oh, can't imagine. Candle, let's uh let's turn this off and let's go watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> Great idea. <laughs> Slow down. Perfect. Season Thank five, you. episode four. That's where I am. If I'll, you want to catch I'll, up. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. Candle, <laughs> okay. thank you so much. Thanks, yes, thank guys. You.